0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner
2: is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Another week, another episode of Catch and Shoot 2.0. And with that, hi, everybody. Thank you for taking your time and joining us. We got a fun show lined up for you. College basketball expert, Howie Schwab, will drop by. We'll talk about my Kansas Jayhawks, what goes in to kind of bracketeering. And also, we'll chat about maybe some teams that he sees on the bubble and might be Cinderella's. And then we'll get some good takes about Dick Vitale, as well as his time on the famous show, Stump the Schwab. But before we get too far into that, I want to go ahead and welcome in the one, the only, his name is Otto Strong. And Otto, I open this up by asking you, have you ever told someone they cannot use an employee entrance?
1: Um, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you would have no problem with someone using an employee entrance?
1: Uh, no, I mean, if, if we're talking, no, I would not have a problem.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, for people who don't know, this is actually very topical. Spike Lee was on First Take on Tuesday morning talking about the incident that happened at the Garden where he claims he's been using this same entrance. It is the employee entrance of MSG for close to 28 years now. And all of a sudden the Knicks have rebuffed and they've said they've asked him to use the VIP entrance or the general admission entrance to me, auto. I don't have a problem with Spike Lee doing anything because that guy is a champion for that franchise. He supports them no matter what. And first off, you know what? He's the one courtside. He's the one paying for the seats down there. That dude can do whatever he wants in the garden.
1: I mean, basically what we have is gate, gate, I mean, when you think about it, it's like one of the silliest things. But I mean, the yes, the, the man wears orange and blue every time he's, he's in the arena. And he's. he he's was a, on
2: first take wearing a Knicks beanie. And he, I think he had Knicks colored glasses on. He
1: he is. He is the ultimate fan. And, and you know, if he wants to go in the employee entrance, by golly, let him walk in the employee entrance. <laughs> but I mean, also, I mean, I, I kind of want to challenge a uh, challenge, a uh, uh, channel Iverson, like We're talking about the entrance. No, no. I mean, we're talking about the entrance. You know
2: what I'm saying? Well, that's that's the best part, right? Like the Knicks get a big win over the Rockets, and it's also the same day in which they announce their new team president. And the only thing we want to talk about is how Spike Lee can't use the employee entrance anymore. Why? Why? Why is this even a story? Also, why do the Knicks care?
1: This is, but this is like classic James Dolan, right? You know, you've you've got, like you just said, you got the, you got the huge win, beating the Rockets. You got, you got stories to talk about upward trajectory, but we're going to talk about the entrance.
2: (laughs) Also, can the Knicks just stop allowing people to go on first take? Because this is the second time in the span of 2020 that they've had issues with people going on first take where it's become a story. Well,
1: probably like, like not. Like, if because, you're the PR
2: department, when you just say no more, guys, no more. We're not doing this.
1: Well, probably not because it can't stop people from walking in the wrong gate. So, why? How'd they stop people <laughs> <if we're> going?
2: <laughs> uh, so, so, if you're Spike Lee and he said that he is done going to MSG for the remainder of the 19 season, and, you know, the Knicks aren't going to make the playoffs. So, what? It's like another 10 games or so. And he's bought tickets to all those games. So he can do what he wants with, the, with his tickets. But if you were Spike Lee, would the ultimate burn. To be to just cancel your Knicks season tickets for 2021, and then go by a courtside to the KD and Kyrie show. All
1: right, so so here's the deal: you're gonna see if he does that, you get you look great in the snapback cap with the Brooklyn Nets. Number one, number two, uh, I think he's still lives in Brooklyn, so you get to save on that subway subway fare back and forth. You don't got you don't got to do that. You don't have to cross the river now, and you get to watch KD and Kyrie. You know, teams that are actually gonna you know teams that's actually gonna be contending. It's going to, I mean, the energy in that place is going to be great. So it's a win, win, win.
2: Absolutely. I, mean, just wins well, across I, the board. I was just going to say, you know, I said 1920 season, and that's probably as long as Spike Lee has been a fan of the Knicks since about 1920, but <laughs> all, all, <laughs> all jokes aside, this is the difference between the two franchises. Is it not? Like the nets are so hot and are doing so many things culturally, you know, just kind of like art design, just, making their franchise the cool thing in the New York city area where it just seems like the Knicks cannot get out of their own way. They're making stories about things that just don't need to be stories.
1: Um, yeah. Just, just, you know, e- exit here, which, 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 which maybe what we should do with this. Segment.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, we just thought we would have some fun with that. Anyway, Spike Lee, I hope you go back to msg next year i hope to see you courtside and i hope they let you use that employee entrance but all right guys let's get to howie all right it's my pleasure to welcome in howie schwab and of course if you don't know who howie schwab is then you clearly did not live in the early 2000s and watch his show first off howie thank you so much for taking the time and joining otto and i how's it going
0: great to be with you otto and aaron this is a great time of year championship week and then the NCAA tournament will be absolutely insane this year. It's been a fun season because so many unpredictable things going on. I mean, you look at conferences and you go, wait, this team was picked fifth in the conference. They won their league. Or Stephen F. Austin beating Duke or Evansville beating Kentucky or you name it. I mean, it's just so many things, and that will lead to a great NCAA tournament, very wide open.
2: You know, and that's a a good point, and that's one of the things I always go back to. College basketball almost really for about the last five, 10 years had been built up dynasties when you kind of look at Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, all the runs that those Blue Bloods, Villanova, they went on. This year, for the first time in a long time, it's about as wide open as I can remember, and it really feels like there's a few teams that have separated themselves from the pack, and we can talk about that, but more so than ever, it's it's almost like there's really 15 to 20 teams that have a legitimate chance to do well come March.
0: I totally agree with that. And while you look at the top of the poll, where a Kansas, a Baylor, to a point a San Diego State, a Dayton, a Gonzaga, these teams could all get beaten in the, first, in the second round. Uh, maybe even the first round. I mean, it's so wide open. I mean, you see teams that will be seeded eight or nine. I mean, I look at teams like Florida, LSU. Uh, There are a whole bunch that will probably be around the eight, nine line, Virginia. Uh, But wait a second. You don't think they can win a few games in the tournament? Of course they can. And, And this year is going to be as competitive a year as I've ever seen. And already, uh, I'll give you an example. Normally, like, look last year. We knew who the one seeds were uh, about two, three weeks before the tournament. This year, you don't know because if San Diego State falls, maybe a Dayton moves to the one line. Uh, the one, two, three seeds are still interchangeable. And it's just incredible how wild this is and the race to even get in the tournament. The hey, ball. Hey- Bubble teams, it's crazy.
1: Hey, hey, Howie, this is Otto. So, uh, one of the one of my jobs here, I'm the sports editor at the Fort Worth Star Telegram, and I'd be irresponsible of me not to ask, what can my TCU Horned Frogs, my adopted squad, expect to do? So, they they just came off of a huge win on Saturday, beating Baylor in their in their house, and on Wednesday will face Kansas. <laughs> so, do the, do is there any any shot that these guys have of 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 uh, making the tournament, either by winning? Uh, against Kansas, or by somehow the tournament,
0: Big 12 tournament? Well, first of all, the Big 12 tournament, I mean, while most people will say Kansas-Baylor, uh, the way Texas has played lately, the way TCU beat Baylor, uh, West Virginia falling apart, I mean, the, a lot of these conference tournaments are wide open. So it wouldn't shock me if you see three or four major surprises and teams that you thought we're not gonna get in the tournament. Suddenly, getting hot. All you got to do is get hot for three days, three days, and three or four days, and boom, you're you're in. So, and that's the beauty of college basketball too—that uh, a team that may have been disappointing during the season suddenly gets a shot to redeem themselves. And uh, we saw it before. We saw it with UConn in the Big East five five straight days. We've seen it uh, in so many conferences that. Uh, And because most of these conferences are so competitive, uh, would it be a total shock if a TCU suddenly got hot? Okay, maybe it would be because Kansas and Baylor are good. And Mm -hmm. Texas Tech is... uh, There's another team. Texas Tech will probably be around an 8-9 seed. Uh, They have seven losses by seven points or fewer. And and against quality teams like Baylor uh, last night, like Kansas... Uh, et cetera, uh, it's at uh, Kentucky. I mean, it's it's wild. I mean, uh, as far as TCU goes, I, I think they have to probably get to the final of the Big 12 tournament. And if they can upset Kansas uh, before the end of the regular season, uh, that would open some eyes. I just don't think that's going to happen. Kansas How- is playing great.
2: Yeah, Howie, I, I have to ask about this just because you have brought them up and, you know, usually I'm the one bringing them up because I went there. Th- this Kansas team is so different and they've really morphed as the season has gone on. You know, Bill Self wanted to play two bigs early. Since then, they've kind of scrapped that and they've gone with a four-guard lineup that's kind of centered around Yudoka Azubuki. This Kansas team doesn't shoot the basketball necessarily that well, but when you look at their efficiency numbers, most notably their offensive numbers and their defensive numbers, they're top 10 in each when it comes to Ken Palm. What is so impressive about this Kansas team? Is it just the fact that they're led by two guys that will probably be first-team All-American, or at least one's going to be first-team, the other one's going to be second-team? Or, or is it just the fact that it, it's a down year in college basketball and while this team isn't as great as other great college basketball teams have been. They just fit the mold for what this year is.
0: I think they're very, very good. Obviously, the win streak says that, but uh, the fact that you can go inside-outside, as a bouquet inside and dots and outside, the fact that you have a defender uh, like, like Marcus Garrett, I mean, uh, they're incredibly talented. They're not as deep as you would like, but uh, realistically, the way they play, Bill Self has them buying in on both ends. And defensively, I've been extremely impressed. I mean, they, they hold people... Uh, lately, they've held people under, uh, around 68 game the last few games. And you're going to win games like that. That's why a team like Virginia can be dangerous, as we saw the other night with Virginia Duke. And Virginia's warming up now. So uh, I think they could be an undervalued seed. but Uh, I think Kansas right now has to be the favorite based on on the way they play, uh, based on the fact that they've played the competitive league, they've played a a few tough teams non-league. I think realistically Bill Self has to be very happy with this team right now. But again, on any given night. And Kansas over the years has had problems early in the tournament against teams that they shouldn't. So who knows? I mean, it's if I were picking right now, I'd pick Kansas to go to the Final Four. Uh, I think they're a talented team. And, again, inside-outside, uh, it makes it hard to defend I was a bouquet inside and Dotson outside. and Some of the other players can contribute and score 10 to 15 a game. And I, I like a team that where you can have five or six guys capable of scoring. That's why I think Gonzaga is very dangerous. Seven players averaging in double figures, that's unheard of. But uh, they could be a dangerous team. I'm not sure they've played enough tough teams in the league schedule. Though so I think the WCC is a lot better this year. BYU is very good and will be in the tournament. St. Mary's, San Francisco, et cetera. Pepperdine is a surprise. is a so, so, surprise.
1: So, Harry, with, with all of these teams and the uncertainty, what kind of pressure does that put on the committee to make Uh, You know, to make smart selections and not have, you know, buyer's remorse, um, you know, on on Monday or Tuesday or or after that first round.
0: I think the committee will have its toughest year ever putting things together because so many of these teams are so similar. When you look at teams that will be six, seven, eight, nine seeds, a lot of them will be as good as two, three seeds. I mean, example, Michigan State. Uh, with all the losses they have, uh, they still may move up and become a pretty good seed if they win the Big Ten tournament or or farewell in the Big Ten tournament. And they're dangerous. Just look at the Maryland game at Maryland. I mean, this is a team that uh, I wouldn't put aside. Tom Izzo certainly has the track record come March. I mean, I, I think the committee has a lot of difficult decisions. Starting up top, with the top three seeds, because there's still a possibility of some change. Uh, Dayton could climb up to a one if they uh, win the A10 and uh, A10 tournament, and then San Diego State loses. Uh, I think you got to give Dayton a lot of credit. Anthony Grant's doing a great job, and watching them, they are a talented team. Besides, Will Be Topping, uh, Crutcher's a solid guard. Uh, they have depth. Uh, they have experience.
2: Uh,
0: Dayton is going to be tough. You know, I don't how... think oh, they're going to miss out. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I just think it's incredible. The committee also has to be concerned uh, the last few teams in, the last few teams out, because it's so wide open. But I think that also shows you the conference tournament play is going to be very, very important to build your resume.
2: Absolutely. And how much has just the way the committee evaluates a resume seems like it's changed in recent years. You know, I I remember just, you know, when you would watch things like bracketology and you would look at what people were putting out there, so much emphasis was put on what they did the last half of the year. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. They're putting more emphasis on the net. Just how, how hard has that been, you know, evaluating what a quadrant one win is, what a quadrant two win is, how much does that change things?
0: A little bit, but I think the committee really looks at your schedule. And a lot of teams now play important games in November. And fans don't realize it. They're like, oh, it's college football. I don't really worry about college basketball. But when you see Michigan State play Kentucky, or Duke play Kansas, or Dayton play Kansas out in Maui, uh, there are very important games that can help your resume. Uh, a team like Texas Tech early on lost to Creighton, Iowa, and DePaul, three straight games, and people were worried. Then they got hot again. Now they've lost three straight games again. So suddenly a team that at one point was ranked in the top 25 now is probably about an 8-9 seed, maybe a 10 seed. Uh, do you want to play them come tournament time?
1: So how are we talking?
0: If a team plays up to their potential, like a Virginia, like a Texas Tech, like a Michigan State, uh, that may be a little lower, Florida, uh, maybe a little lower. They are going to be dangerous teams, and that's why this is going to be a very tough tournament to predict.
1: So, so having said that, I'm going to ask you to predict something. (laughs) It's what we do. Sure. (laughs) So. Top three Cinderella teams?
0: Uh, okay. Northern Iowa, potentially, because uh, I think that uh, Ben Jacobson has a, a good track record. And uh, I watched them and I, I kind of like what I saw. Um, East Tennessee State, but I tell you, the Southern Conference term is going to be unbelievable. So, uh, And it'll be interesting because. With their resume, do they belong or does a Purdue belong over them uh, despite a lot of losses? But here's the thing about Purdue when you have four wins by 19 or more against the likes of Virginia, Michigan State, uh, also Iowa, and Wisconsin, I mean, that's a pretty impressive resume. Mm. How do you keep a team like that out? It's amazing. There are so many teams. The Big Ten has been ridiculous this year. They beat each other up, but uh, a lot of teams are going to get in. Ten, maybe 11. Uh, I think Minnesota has faded out now. But uh, Do you want to play a Wisconsin in the tournament? Do you want to play a Michigan in the tournament? Uh, do you want to play an Illinois in the tournament? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's pretty crazy, but... Uh, uh, I think that this tournament could be one of the most exciting ever.
2: You know, Howie, it's it's amazing. You mentioned the Big Ten, and my, my thought process is, you know, by my count, they have eight teams in the top 25. One of them is Jawan Howard in that Michigan squad. It's his first year uh, leading up that Wolverines team. And you look at them, 99 nine in the tough Big Ten, 18 and 11 overall. They're 4 and 5 against teams in the top 25. What do you see from this Michigan team, and how dangerous are they?
0: Uh, the lack of consistency scares me a little bit, but yes, they can make uh, make noise. I mean, they certainly did with Beeline, uh, and now Jawan Howard, I, I think uh, the potential is there because you have a great leader in Simpson, you have great size with Teske, you have great outside shooting at times. Uh, I think the key is going to be, in a lot of these games, who hits threes. I mean, I looked the other day, Creighton played St. John's. Creighton was terrible shooting threes. St. John's was incredible, boom, St. John's wins by 20. Go figure. But yet, come tournament time, the teams that hit threes are going to be the teams that advance, in my opinion. And I think that's a big factor. Turnovers will be a big factor. Uh, I think one other factor is coaching with the longer timeouts because then you don't have to necessarily play 9-10 guys. And so depth may be less of a factor in the tournament than people may think. But, I mean, this year, like we said earlier, 15 teams could win this whole thing. Uh, maybe 20. I mean, realistically, uh, if you look at the list of – I mean, go back to the preseason top 25. Michigan State won. Uh, they haven't played like a one all year. Florida, six. Uh, I mean, there there are a bunch of teams that have not lived up to expectations. But come tournament time, watch out. You never know. I mean, maybe a Kerry Blackshear steps up more consistently. Nemhardt has been playing better. Uh, Florida could be dangerous. I mean, there are so many teams you could say can be dangerous, and there are so many teams that you can say could be dangerous and could get knocked down in the first round. You don't want to play in East Tennessee State or Stephen F. Austin or Northern Iowa. I mean, these teams want to prove something. And you know every year you're going to get either a five twelve or a four thirteen that's going to surprise you. Hofstra's a pretty good team if they can get by in their conference tournament. Uh, There are just so many teams out of Vermont. Uh, Vermont gave Virginia a battle, beat St. John's. I mean, there's just so many teams out there that can win a game or two in this tournament. How many can win the whole thing? I think that goes down a little bit because you have to win six games, but realistically, look at last year. How many people had Virginia, Texas Tech, Auburn in the final four? I mean, come on. It's uh, it's incredible that that kind of thing could happen this year too.
1: Hey, Howie, I want to switch gears a little bit. So talk to me a little bit about Stump the Schwab. So this, this is a show, for, for, the, for those who aren't familiar, aired on ESPN, 2004-2006. Stuart Scott, of course, was the host. Give me, give me a story. Tell me something about the best part of uh, being uh, on that show
0: best part of being on the show was the people behind the scenes. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. The contestants were very good. Uh, I enjoyed 99% of the contestants, and it was just a fun time. I really enjoyed it. Uh, It was competitive. It was challenging. There were some days when we did four shows a day in a day, and it was really nerve-wracking because you had to really think. And there were a couple of times I just was like, forget it, I'm done, (laughs) to be honest. And I I was 64 and 16. I thought that was a pretty good record. One guy, one time in Vegas, I was talking to a friend and he came over and said, oh, you never lost. I said, actually, I did. I was 64 and 16. (laughs) You lost 16 times? Oh, that's terrible. Thank you, sir. (laughs) I just laugh. You know what? I came in with the attitude, if I win, I win, I lose. ESPN told me, hey, we're doing a new show. It's called Stump the Schwab. You're going to go against people. I was like, okay, I win, I win, I lose, I lose. I'm going to have fun. That's all. And I had a great time with it. And the people behind the scenes were great. And Stuart Stuart was the best. I had so much fun. I'll tell you one quick story. One time, uh, we did this gymnastic thing. And yes, they had a stunt that will do mine, of course. (laughs) Well, Stuart thought it was so funny. He said, let me show you something. he did like these backflips. I'm like, oh my God, was this the Olympics? Oh, Stuart was so much fun. And it was great because I also got to see his daughters grow up Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. And they're great people. And poor Stuart, of course, passed away. And Stuart was a great human being and loved Stewart and enjoyed every minute with Stuart. So that was, that was one of the most fun parts of it as well.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know, Howie, there's a lot of shows and a lot of programs that to this day still emulate what you guys did with that show. And it shows that just how passionate one people are about sports, but how much they enjoy sports trivia. And you were able to bring that to them. And You know, you mentioned the people behind the scenes. A lot of people don't know that you're also very close with Dick Vitale. What has that relationship been like for you with him? Because you've been uh, a confidant for him for numerous decades. What's that been like to work with him? And, you know, if you have a good Vitale story, we're all ears.
0: Oh, (laughs) I have plenty. Uh, Dick has been a great person to me. He's been very supportive. Uh, When ESPN let me go six years ago now, which is almost seven. Uh, it was tough, but Dick said, hey, keep working with me. And that was great, and I enjoyed it. I still work with him. I work on his website. I work on notes and stats and info for him. And uh, I love working with Dick. And Lorraine, his wife, is incredible. And the great thing about Dick Vital is he's a people person. He's all about family. He's all about the V Foundation and raising money for cancer uh, cure, cancer uh, research. And when you look at it, uh, he's just incredible how tireless he is, how hard he works, how much he cares. Um, (laughs) Stories from Dick. Oh, my God. Oh, he's just a fun person to be around. I mean, that's, that's the great part of it. Uh, I've been in Final Fours with him, and it's just, it's like being around the Fifth Beetle. And people surround him, and, and he's always accommodating. He always wants to sign autographs. He always wants to take pictures. He loves talking to people. He's a great people person, and uh, Dick has really been a lot of fun to be around and to work with, and I really appreciate everything he's done for me.
2: Absolutely. Uh, last question, have you ever been to a raise game with him? I have several times. <laughs> several times.
0: I, 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 will I will tell you. I will tell you one funny story. One time we were at a Rays Angels game, and he knew Alfredo Griffin, and he kept asking Alfredo Griffin to flip him balls so he could flip them in the crowd. He must have flipped twenty balls to kids in the crowd. It was hysterical. Um, oh, yeah. Dick has a running conversation because he sits next to the opposing team dugout. He'll talk yeah. to either players, or managers, or coaches, or during the game. It's just hysterical. I was going to say, I, it, I, I, it, it, it's the best.
2: I was going to say, I got my start in sports working with the Rays, and I remember seeing him down there, in about the second or third row, just interacting with anyone and everyone. It's just who he is. But you know what, Howie, this was tremendous, and Otto and I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us today.
0: My pleasure. It should be a great tournament. It's a great time of year, even championship week. There are going to be some great, great games, and it'll be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited about it. Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Thank you. It's time
1: once again for that catch-and-shoot 2.0 favorite, Old School, New School. Time for Old School, New School, and we got a good one for you today. So. Uh, Trey Young, Atlanta Hawks, uh, uh, uh star player on the rise, bringing the ball up court. And he had one of these, one of his kind of go to moves where he, you know, tries to tries to slide the ball between a defender's legs, uh, aka the nutmeg. Uh, however, the only problem was this time, uh, the victim was uh, uh Portland Trailblazers Trevor Ariza, and he wasn't exactly having it. So, um, I have a, a variety of thoughts on this, but at this point, I want to kind of bring in my cohort Aaron here. What, what you, what was your take on that? And, and what
2: would you want to say about that? You just want to bring me in because you know, I'm going to be fine with it because I'm all about the flashy plays, but no, I, I had no issue with it. Right. Like if something happens within the course of a game, that's on the defender, man, like slide your feet better, get in better position, you know, just guard your man. And Trevor Reese is a great defensive player. And, you know, he was upset with it afterwards. And, you know, uh, Here's one thing. I'm fine with it, but I also love showing emotion during the course of a game. And I love when guys just like, no man, that's not gonna happen to me because you take ownership for the play. But to be upset about something that happens in the course of a play, come on, man. <laughs> like you, you gotta be better than that. So so, so, I, so what are your what are your takes on this?
1: So I, I love two things. I loved that well, three things. I love that Trey tried it. I love that I checked him, and I love that Areza went over and say after the game and said, Hey man. We're all good, but just don't be doing that
2: on me. So, so, on so what's else, wrong? You know? So my question is, what's wrong with it? You know, it's so one of my, the one of the most frustrating things to me in all sports is kind of like unwritten rules. And baseball has the most unwritten rules of any sport. Yes. You know, it's kind of like the no fun thing. Like, you, you know, you don't celebrate home runs or it shows up a pitcher. This is 2020, man. Like if someone bounces a ball between your legs and gets a bucket out of it, that's on you. Like just because you're going to become an internet sensation or a meme somewhere, that that's your problem, not that guy's.
1: Well, I, I hear you. There there certain there certainly is that. And you know, I was thinking, you know, before we got on air, we're thinking about, okay, like, you know, the Ken Griffey wearing the cap backwards. I mean, that was also, you know, the whole disrespect in the game or or tossing the, the bat flip after the after the home run. You know, this is this is kind of in that in that way, in that vein. And I think players have just kind of yeah, everybody will, you know, they kind of get down with with that you know, wider stance and clearly uh, many there could have been many a victim over the years with, with guys threading the ball through. But um, look, w- I would have loved to have seen that, uh, you know, somebody try that on, on like, you know, in the lakers Celtics back, back in the 80s or, or you know, piston or the, on the uh, bad boy Pistons of the 90s. I mean, that would have been, I don't know. I mean, I can't even imagine what would have happened.
2: So, so here's a question for you: Is it safe to say the younger athletes in today's game? And you know, there's probably four or five that are on the rise. You know, young Tatum, Doncic. Uh, you, you know, there's a handful of them. Zion that come to mind when you think about this. And the thing I go back to is they're all flashy players. You know, they can all make the big play, the big poster dunk, uh, impressive with their ball handling. It's okay for younger players to show their skill sets, and I think the older players are having a hard time with some of the early emergences that we've seen from first or second year players.
1: Mm, Yeah, you got a good point. So, you know, I tried to go back to think about, you know, what was LeBron like, and what was Wade like, and what was Melo like, and while they were, you know, they were good, and they were, they were certainly top notch. They didn't necessarily have one of those types of style and profiling kind of kind of. Um, but, I, but i tell you, like, look, like, I, like, I love it. I like, I'd, I'd want him to do it again to be honest with you. But at the same time, I will totally, you know, it's like free speech. I, I, I will, I may not agree with it, but I'll defend your right to, to you know, to, to say it. And it's kind of like the same thing. I, I would love to see it. I wouldn't want anybody doing that on me. And if somebody tried to do that on me, I'd, I, I, I was going to, I was going to
2: say, I was going to say, if that happens to you at the park or at the rec center, you just, you deal with it, man, you drop your head, you drop your shoulders and you walk away and you're like, and you tip your cap to the dude and you say, okay, that was impressive. But on the next time down, I'm going to get you. And I wish Ariza would have done that in this situation. Now here's a question, Otto. How much of this also stems from the fact that, you know, that this Hawks team, Trey Young is a flashy player, right? And you look at a majority of where his shots are taken. I think he has more three point attempts from like 28 feet out than any other player in the league. And part of the problem is when he's taking these long threes, you know, his team has been atrocious with him defensively. How much of that is also a problem when it comes to Trey Young, too?
1: Oh Trey, I think you know, like he, he's a, he's a young, he's an exciting player, flashy player, but I think he's at times, you know, maybe maybe overreaching a little, a little bit too much. You know, I, I kind of think liken it to to um, John Morant. I mean, yes, you got you know you went over Kevin Love, and then and then he tried going over Anthony Davis. It's like you know, just because like there's a, a person there, you don't have to try to jump over necessarily. Like, and it's kind of in that same. In that same vein, I think they. I think they're just trying to do too much. Um, but at the same time, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be the guy that's trying to hold people back.
2: Yeah. So you're saying just just don't n- not make a guy next time. Just don't do it. Don't make Pretty it happen. Much. Right? Pretty much. Okay. Bruh. All right, Otto. We've had a lot of fun on this one, but I have to give my bra to a guy that I respect, that I appreciate, and he's one of the NBA's all-time greats. But my bra award goes out to LeBron James. Look, LeBron, I know you're making movies. I know Space Jam comes out and you've had some acting training, but this was awful. Your flop against Dylan Brooks in a move where it kind of just looked like his finger, you know, maybe his index finger might have touched your beard and then flopping to the ground the way you did. It was a bad look for you. And worse off, the pictures make it look like Dylan Brooks is standing over you after he just took your lunch money. What I'm trying to say is we already have enough flopping in soccer. We don't need it in basketball. Basketball has its own issues. So just don't do it, man. I don't want to see it again.
1: Oh, man. Well, my bra goes out to James Harden. So, you know, this is off of the, the comment that James had, and I'll just I'll just read it because so, it just deserves to be said. Uh, James Harden on Giannis, on Giannis Antetokounmpo says, I wish I could be seven feet, run and just dunk. That takes no skill at all. I got to actually learn how to play basketball and how to have skill. I'll take that any day. Well, yeah. However, the guy is a reigning MVP in Giannis, and he can shoot threes. And while he can run and dunk and jump, he can also spin and defend and do a whole host of other things. So my bro goes out to James Harden. Don't don't do that, man. All right. So that's it for this week. Thanks to everybody for listening to this edition of catch and shoot 2.0. Thank you to our producers, Scott Turkin, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Ben Wolfen.
2: As always, Mondays are for the Mike Weiss show Tuesdays, our new podcast with John Fanta and Kim Adams drops. It's the full court press. And as always on Wednesdays, it's catch and shoot with Otto and myself. Thursdays are for Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. And on Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman as well as BJ Armstrong. We would really appreciate it if you guys rate, comment, and subscribe. And if you guys enjoyed the show, make sure you give us five stars on iTunes or Spotify. And as always, keep listening, keep sharing. And if you guys do want to message the show, just leave a comment in the review section on iTunes. We'll check it and we'll get back to you next week.
1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.